0: will be taken from the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter, and beginning with the 32nd verse. And I will read again, talking about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They took two others also, both of them criminals, to put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross there, and the two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They divided his clothes among themselves by throwing dice. The people stood there watching while the Jewish leaders made fun of him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah whom God has chosen. The soldiers also made fun of him. They came up to him and offered him wine and said, Save yourself if you are the king of the Jews. These words were written above him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging there threw insults at him. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other one, however, rebuked him saying, don't you fear God. Here we are all under the same sentence. Ours, however, is only right for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But he has done no wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me, Jesus, when you come as king. Jesus said to him, I tell you this today, you will be in paradise with me. Lord, help us to understand this morning what we read. A friend of mine had been to an art showing somewhere someplace, and in commenting on that he said that the one that was with him, as looking at one of these modern paintings, uh, said he thought that the artist had framed the The wrong paper, because as he stood looking at the thing, he couldn't make sense out of it at all. It was such a hodgepodge of colors. Well, when we stop and look at Calvary, and if we look at it uh, at a distance, it's very difficult for us to make any sense out of it at all. Because there's such a contrast here, and such extremes, from one extreme to the other. And as we look at the scene on Calvary We think about the great suffering And the dying on the part of those who were being crucified And we think about the great indifference on the part of those That some of them that were standing there And then we think about the crowd How unruly and how wild they were To be crying out for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ And then we think about Christ at the other extreme And here he is Suspended here between heaven and earth, and and yet his heart goes after these people who are are doing this hideous thing to him, and he asks for forgiveness. And then we think perhaps the little group that was standing there that loved him. And then we look at the soldiers and how hard and cruel, for the most part, to, uh, that they were gambling for his clothing while he was dying. And as we look at this picture of the three who are dying in the crowd, the group there. We could even go so far as to think, well, they look like the the same type of a situation, really. There's nothing really different about it, because uh, they come from the same town. They're dying on the same hill. They're dying in the same way to be being crucified. And they were sentenced there to die through the same government. And we see that uh, they have much in common. And here they are together suffering the last pangs before death comes, and it seems like it's a sort of the same situation. But if you move a little closer and look at it for what it really is, you can see that there are those there are together on the hill, but there are those things that separate them as far as the east is from the west. And it all can be seen, I think, in a very vivid way, as we look at the two men dying with the Lord Jesus Christ and catch something of the picture uh, that uh, Luke caught for us to be able to see. And the contrast can be seen as the the two are dying as they make an approach to two dying and the way that they are dying. One might say, well, it's not quite fair to treat the two dying there on the cross and see by what you see there and what you hear there to judge them in relation to their character because they were under great... uh, distress and pain and suffering. But you know, I discovered something a long time ago, dear ones, and that's the being in the service and in the war and being under shell fire. I discovered that you could discover something within 15 minutes with a man that was facing certain death. And sometimes you can in a lifetime otherwise. Because as it is in this situations where the camouflage is stripped away from us and And we are really who we are and what we are. The soul is laid bare. And what you see is what we really are. And dear friends, that's exactly what was happening here on Calvary's Hill so long ago. The thing that happened to these two men, these two thieves. They were two thieves. It looks like they're the same even there. But notice what a difference between these two thieves. When when you strip away all the outward trappings here. And take a look at the soul and see what the soul really is. And, and record has it, it tells us that one of these thieves that were dying with the Lord Jesus Christ, name was Justus. I think I know this man because I have associated with him all too many times within my own shack. He was a thief. And he's not the type of thief that would go out here and steal petty stuff. He's really a thief at heart. It becomes a way of life to him. It is a way of life. And he approaches the world in this way. The world owes him a living. The world owes me a living. That was his attitude. And he would get this living any way that he could. He would take it through his wit if he could do it. Uh, But uh, if he could not do it and had to use force, he was certainly not opposed to using force to get what he wanted at the time that he wanted it. The only thing that he really understood was power. For no probability, he was one of the revolution, uh, that, uh, one of the many of the revolution was going on at that, uh, at that time. But on top of whatever else he was, he was a thief and he was caught. And as he's caught, and as he is here on the cross, now we can almost predict what his attitude is. And here it comes out in a way that I think that, uh, that he would say, well, it's really not his fault that he is there. It's the fault of his society or his ancestors or his father and mother or the government or the stupid people that he had to live and to work with. Years ago, they used to have a policy here within the city where that if young people got in trouble, that was a very serious trouble. They would try to contact the preacher in that area where they were and see if he would talk to them. Well, I volunteered for that program. And it didn't last too long, and I don't know really why. I thought it was a very good program, but I was amazed to find the number of young people who were in serious trouble that absolutely would not accept any responsibility for their action. Oh, it's a dumb society. Or oh, it's my parents, or oh, it's the school or it's the government or it's the police or whatever never coming to the place where they would accept the responsibility for their own action and that's this man at the very heart and so look at the situation he turns to the Lord Jesus Christ now okay this is hard to understand oh it's hard for me to understand here this man is within arm's reach of the Lord Jesus Christ that hadn't been spiked to a cross here he was right beside perfection. Here he was beside personified love. Here he was in the presence of the best that God had to offer. And he was oblivious to it. And he sneered at the Lord Jesus Christ and said what was really within his heart and what he was really thinking. Well, if you really have the type of power that you say that you have, why don't you come down from this cross and take us with you? That's what he would have done. Because the only thing he understood was this type of power, you see, this type, this type of might and force. Oh, he would readily have done that. You see, this man never understood as uh, they filed the cross and why it could be and why it ought to be. And if you'd have talked to him about love, you would have been laughed out of the country. He couldn't imagine anyone being on that cross other than by force. The only way. If they had power to do anything about it, they would use that power. And that's why he tells the Lord Jesus Christ here, in this hopeless situation, how that he ought to conduct to his affairs. He knew better than Christ did. He knew better. You say, well, why are you so hard on this man? And because that's the point of my confusion. I don't have to check your heart to understand what it is prone to because there beats within this body of mine a human heart too. And I know the one thing it wants to rebel at more than anything else. And that is to do sometimes what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling for. I would like to tell him how to do a few things. I think I could improve on it. Oh, these hearts of ours, how rebellious they are sometimes. Why won't we trust him? But we don't, and we fight it. And it's a battle raging all the time. Maybe it ceases a little bit and tones down, but the tendency on the part of us, instead of following the dictates that God has given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, is harder the dictates of our own hearts. And so this man here was trying to tell the Lord Jesus Christ how he might more perfectly perfect the kingdom. Come down. Come down. This man could not trust goodness. He could not trust love. I want to ask you a question this morning. Can you? Or do we hesitate? Oh, don't we hesitate. And yet this is the thing that led this man completely afield. He had no way, seemingly completely void, of any response to trust love. Can you trust love to lead you through life? and to give to you and to God's kingdom what it ought to have. At the same time, we hesitate to make this the very prime and the very motivating part of our life. There was an instrument of death, the cross. And what Jesus did there upon that cross that spells out love, the cross was never the same again. Because does it not stand for faith and hope? And we hold it up as our greatest symbol. Of what we really believe and what we say is the real power upon the face of the earth. The very instrument of death has become a symbol of love, faith, and hope for us today. And this man died in arm's reach of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never accepting and never knowing. It never occurred to him that there could be another way to live. And another possibility. Never occurred to him he died the way that he had lived. Violently and sinfully in a cruel way. Now there's a cross between them. One on one side and a thief on the other side. And this one, they have named him Desmus. And he was dying too. But oh, what a contrast. what a contrast. They were in, in all probability, 15 feet of one another. It might as well have been as far as the east is from the west. That's how far they're separated, really. And this thief, he admits That uh, he is a thief. This is a note that uh, he's not blaming anyone. What Luke heard there at the foot of the cross: this man didn't blame anyone. He didn't blame his parents. He didn't blame society. Didn't blame the school. Didn't blame anyone. He accepted the responsibility of his actions. Now, dear friends, I have discovered something uh, that, to me, it's an absolute. It isn't any variable here at all, as far as I'm able to know in my limited. Experience. And that is no person, no person will ever make it to the Lord Jesus Christ and be what God created you to be until at last you come to the place where you accept the responsibility for your actions. And then you're in a position to do something, even if you're a thief. And here he was. I know that I'm a thief. This man may have been weak and shiftless before. But when he is stripped of all of this camouflage that we can gather around our life, we see his soul shining through and that he was a man after all. And because he accepted responsibility for his own way of life and his own decision, he was able to see the Lord Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. I know that that's part of it. Here it is. He was able to recognize that this was Christ the Savior, this was the promised one. He had no real philosophy, no real theology. No one had told him too much, he hadn't had the train. The place where he was in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that he was in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing he did was to do something about it. But so he knew when he knew, he simply said, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Now you look at the situation, dear one, because at this level it's beautiful. Really, And see it for what it really is. All of us, every one of us is included in this, you see. Now here this man, look what a predicament he was in. Here he was at this position in his life, the closing hours. And not only the closing hours of it, he was in a position of where he could do nothing, recognizing that he was in the presence of the Son of God and the very presence of the Messiah, the Deliverer. And if he would been anywhere else besides being spiked to that cross, I he would have thought, now what can I place, what can I give to, to the king? What offering can I bring? What can I give to him? What can I place at his feet? He had no pocket. His clothing had been stripped off of him. And if he had any silver or gold, it had been taken from him a long time ago. And even if he wanted to give, there he was. With his arms spiked to a cross. He had nothing to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his time was running out. That Jesus said to him. I'll tell you this. Today. You will be with me in paradise. I think there was a hymn writer. As far as I'm concerned with studying the same situation that you and I are right now. And he was looking at the cross and saw what was happening there. And he penned this beautiful hymn that you and I are going to sing to close our service with 1, 19. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. If there be one here among us this morning that you see more clearly than ever before what you need to do in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you would like to be a part of the fellowship of God in this church, meet me at the office we sing with him.